Bible, open up to the end of Ruth chapter 1. If you're watching online, grab a Bible as well. You need to see this text. This section of Scripture here is an illustration of an answer to the question I get most as a pastor. So I encourage you to do something. We're actually going to do two things that I don't often encourage. One, I want you to write this later, or if not now, in the cover of your Bible. That's how helpful what you're about to hear is going to be. And we're going to cover it not just one week, but two weeks. So this will be knowing God's will, part one, knowing God's will, part two. Think that's a big question? Of all the questions I get, this is the most common. How do I know God's will for my life? How do I know what job I should take? How do I know what college I should go to? How do I know what church I should partner with and become a part of? How do I know what ministry to do? And how do I know if I should take that job or not take that job? Right? So those are the kinds of questions we're going to give you five answers to. And I use this material more than any other material in my ministry. Have I set it up on a pretty high shelf? Uh, let, Let me bring it to the lowest shelf. In order for you to come to these five things, you got to have a heart for God's plan for your life. That's where we're going to start. That's where we're going to focus on today, the heart that you have for God. Finish, finish the Bible verse for me. Trust in the Lord with all your—do you know that verse? That's actually my life verse, Proverbs 3, 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Verse 6, in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He— Here's the assurance, He will direct your steps. He will guide you. So I I want you to put out front right now, if you could have some divine intervention in your life and He could give you some divine guidance, I want you to put that in a prayerful thought right now. God, I would love for you to help me know what to do with, right? And that, that isn't rhetorical. I don't want you to say it out loud, but maybe say it in a prayer right now, all right? Where could you use some guidance? Maybe it is in marriage. What do I do with this marriage? What do I do with these kids? What do I do with this job? What do I do with the finances? What do I do with some of you who are young? I see some young people here. What do I do with this class, with this? Where do I go to college? What do I, how do I handle this relationship? All right, take a few minutes and put that out. And I'm not asking you to figure it out. I'm just asking you to put it out, right? All right, just take, take 30 seconds and put it out before the Lord, all right? Bow your heads and pray a prayer to God saying, God, guide me in this area, all right? God, in the moment that we just prayed, I I pray that the prayers of these people here and even those watching online, that their words are large in your ears, that you're hearing them. We know you do. You're omniscient. You're omnipresent. You're everywhere present and all-knowing, but you're also El Shaddai. You are almighty God. And you can hear and you can do and you have a wonderful plan for our lives. We know that as Bible truth. And I pray that as they put out that question, that in this next 40 minutes or so, that you would give them an answer. In Jesus' name, amen. Spiritual leaders get this question all the time. How do I determine God's will for my life? In the book of Ruth, 
I absolutely can't get any better than this. This is rich. It is the finest text that I can show you on determining God's will. Right here. Now, this is a question that's really answered by the whole Bible, but it's illustrated both prophetically and morally here. Right? We'll jump in in just a second. I'm actually going to do something. I, 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 I asked you to write this in the cover. There's going to be five points. That's not something I often do. Here's something else I don't often do. I'm going to give you all the notes up front. Right? And then we'll take the, another 15, 20 minutes to show you in the book of Ruth, and we'll spend even more time on it next week. All right? So that's a little different. So if you're watching this online, where can you get the notes? You can get those from our website. Go to fbcbeaumont.org. Click on the tab called Resources. Or go to the free Bible app called YouVersion, Y-O-U version. And if you download that Bible app, there is a tab called Events. Click on that. Put in Beaumont, Texas, and you'll see the notes. And actually, you'll see the blanks as well. So those of you that get too caught up in the things we're talking about here and you miss a blank, that's okay. You can find it on that Bible app. That's huge. Last couple of weeks, we answered the question, what do we learn about Ruth's conversion? This book is about Ruth, not Naomi. Naomi in chapter 1 is the central figure, but she's not who the book's about. She's about this book is about Ruth. Here's a spiritual immigrant. She's not just a national immigrant into Israel. She is a spiritual immigrant into the family of God. Maybe that's you. That's me. I'm a spiritual immigrant. I don't deserve to be in the kingdom of God. None of us do. And that's how it ought to feel, right? I got in by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin, chin, right? And as such, we learned about her peace and where she got her hope. So we went there. Today and next week, and really in the next three or four weeks, we're going to ask the question, what did we learn about the course of her life? I said it was prophetic. She is prophetic of the church getting grafted in to the kingdom of God after the defection of Israel. Israel defects. Naomi and Elimelech, we saw last week, is this godly Judaite couple, godly but not that godly. They cut and run during a famine. Uh, the cost is too much to not have food on the table. They cut and run, and they go to a foreign country, marry their sons off to foreign daughters, and they just, they just jump ship. And as such, uh, at the end of middle, middle part of chapter 2, really at the end of verse 5, you have, you have three funerals. Elimelech's dead, and their two sons are dead. It's a, it's a rough story. But you get all the rough out right in that first five verses. After that, verse 6, it's a warm story. And it talks about the dogged determination of, of Naomi, this widow woman, and this daughter, this daughter-in-law, Ruth. All right, we're going there. But we're going to look at the course of her life. How can I determine God's will? Well, there's five answers. Answer number one, it's the precepts of God. Now, people don't often come to me in pastoral ministry, sitting down with me at a cup of coffee or, a, or an office visit. They don't ask me often about God's will in terms of the precepts of God because somewhat they don't have to. They can just read it, right? If you got a concordance, you can determine the precepts of God, what he, if you're filling blanks here, what he commands, right? It's right there. All you have to do when you know the commands of God is just to obey. See, I know what God's word clearly often says in terms of morality in terms of the courteousness and sincerity of my words towards you. I know what the Word of God says about what I should do with my, uh, my relationships with lost people. I should share my faith. I don't, have to, I don't have to even pray about sharing my faith. I just 
share my faith. See, you, hopefully you see that. We often let prayer become a substitute for action. I'm going to pray about being nice to my neighbor. No, no, no. Just be nice to your neighbor. I don't have to pray about whether or not I should cheat on my wife, right? How terrible is that? I should just be faithful to my wife. You catch me? Just obey. It's right or wrong answers. You're called to believe and obey. And now every now and again, someone will come up to me and say, what does God's Word say about this particular subject? And, and that's, a, that's just a Bible study. And we have a Bible study, and once it's known, now they are accountable, right? And that's rare, very, very rare. With Ruth, what we see in the book of Ruth in God's Word is that it is not here for me to consider it. It's either here for me to obey it or trust it. And in that case, obedience is greater than consequence. I don't care what the consequence is. I'm a child of God under the lordship of Jesus. And when I call Jesus Lord, that means it's an oxymoron to say no, Lord. You catch me? The Bible that you have is not meant for you to study it and consider the will of God. It's meant for you to study it and obey it. God's love language is obedience. So the Word of God just gives you right or wrong answers, and we see it in Ruth. Obedience is greater than consequence. So what's the purpose of the precepts of God? I like the word precepts. Precepts is better term to me than command. The commandments of God are the precepts of God, but precepts adds the idea that these commands have a reason. These commands have a principle. So when you add the word command and principle, you get precept. Right? These precepts have purpose. So let me say it this way. The purpose of the precepts of God is to move you in trusting Him and obeying Him, move you from obedience that comes from fear, He'll take that, to obedience that comes from faith. He wants that. Obedience from faith, obedience from fear. Let's, let's unpack that. Obedience of fear is what I took from my daughters at a young age when I really couldn't communicate very elaborately with them. I just needed them to know that they look both ways before they cross the street, and if there's a car coming, they don't step out into it. And, and, and I need them to obey that when I see something they don't see, and I say, get over here, maybe I have to say it strong, that they just quickly obey. And if that's what you heard from me for the last year as we walk through the book of Revelation, you heard right. You're meant to read the book of Revelation at the end of your body, Bible, and be scared with your body. Read it in your Bible, be scared about it in your body, because some bad things are coming. And, and the book of Revelation is so that when it all hits the fan, that's the Hebrew, hits the faneth, when it all hits the fan, you can say, God told us so. I'm saying that almost every day. God told us so. God said it would happen. And so I am to beware. But God wants you to move from beware to believe, to trust, to own, to obey because you trust. Now, there is a lot of books in your Bible. Uh, every book of the 66 is important, but they're not all equally important. The book of Romans is sizably more important than the book of Lamentations. In the book of Romans, if the Bible is a mountain, you get to the top of the mountain, and that is the book of Romans. And the beauty of Romans is it's bookended by these two little phrases, and I've already given it to you. In Romans chapter 1, verse 5, and Romans chapter 20, 16, verse 26, you see God's purpose in the Bible. And it's to give you and bring from you obedience that comes by faith. 
that you don't sleep around with somebody you're not married to because you trust God's word and you trust him. It's not just that you're feared, you're fearful. Yeah, he'll take that. But what he wants you to know is that he has a plan for marriage. He has a plan for what it means to be a man. He has a plan for what it means to be a woman, a mother, a a father. And you trust him. So you study the Bible and you obey the Bible. Romans chapter 1, verse 5. Romans chapter 16, verse 26. All that he's done in the grace of Jesus, in the growth in Jesus, is to bring about an obedience that comes from faith. That you just obey him because you absolutely trust him. And yeah, maybe sometimes he'll take faith, fear, fear obedience, but he wants faith obedience. Got it? That's the purpose of precepts. All right, here's the second thing to write on your Bible cover. So we move from precepts of God to providence of God. The providence of God is the second thing we talk about when we try to understand God's plan for your life. Whatever you prayed about earlier and said, God, I need guidance, is there a command? Secondly, is God working? The providence of God is his special work. It's the invisible hand of God to bring about things. They're usually subtle, and they're oftentimes painful. They're sorrowful. We don't, we don't usually get, as pastors, a lot of questions about the providence of God. All right? People don't come into me and say, what do I do with my cancer? Right? That's a providential thing. What do I do in this situation, this hurricane that's about to hit me? Well, if it's a natural disaster, that's hand of God kind of thing. Whether he directly causes it or he allows it, if God allows it, you just have to endure. Let me go beyond endure. If you have the precepts of God first and you're studying your Bible, you go from endure to trust. You go from survive to thrive. So as you're taking notes, what he allows is the blank, and you just have to trust God. I don't get this question very often, you know. When it comes to the providential will of God, I don't get people asking me, no, no, this second one is what I use often as I am looking to comfort somebody else. They don't ask it, but I'll still tell it. I'll say God's in charge, God's in control. And if bad things happen to me and the hand of God is on me in some sort of providential thing, I want you to tell me that. Don't tell me it's all an accident. Don't tell me drunk drivers do what drunk drivers do when they hit somebody I love. No, you tell me God's in charge. You don't tell me pandemics happen. No, you tell me God is Lord over COVID, amen? That's what I need to hear and that's what you need to hear. So whether you ask it or not, that's what I'm gonna say. All right, so whether it's in an ER or a funeral home, or whether it's uh, in some sort of, uh, you know, disaster relief mode and we're at somebody's house and I'm helping you muck out your house and I'm taking your hard-earned stuff and I'm throwing it on the street. I'm going to look at you and I'm going to say, that stuff, you trust the Lord. Amen? Providential will of God. Now let me dig a little deeper. If the preceptive will of God is right or wrong, our answers, when you do, and you'll rarely do, but when you do get questions about the providence of God, It's not right or wrong answers, it's up or down answers. I gave this three times this last week. I was preaching on this and people were coming into my office for help and counseling about providential things. There's nothing to do with it. If you feel like you're in a bad marriage, yeah, there's things to do, but a big part of it is just to trust God and endure. If I know a couple of our connected people to our church going through divorce situations, if if your spouse is leaving you, some of you have gone through divorce, it takes 
two people to get into a marriage. It only takes one to get out. And if, if that's happening to you and you don't have a choice and it, they're, they're leaving you, well, what do you do? You trust the Lord and you endure. And I got to share this kind of commentary because when it comes to the answers I give, it's, are you looking up to the Lord? Or are you looking down in depression? Are you looking up in victory and blessing or, and counting your blessings? Or are you looking down in depression? Right? See, these are, these are up and down answers. Are you beholding what God wants to do through you and in you to get you through it? Right? Because truly, hear me, you can even say it out loud with me. I'll already say it once, you say it twice. Your outlook determines your outcome. Say that out loud. My outlook determines my outcome. My outlook determines my outcome. Your attitude determines a lot. And that's huge here. So again, up and down answers. You know, you have, here's a joke. I love it though. You have three options. It's not a false dichotomy. It's not pessimism or optimism. Those aren't your two only options to your outlook. Either I'm an optimistic giddy fool, even when I'm going through something tough, or I'm a pessimistic, depressed person. Is, and, and, and which one is it? Do I, am I sad or am I glad? And how can I be glad that I'm about to go through a divorce? How can I be glad that my, my child's rebellious? Or how can I be glad that I'm, I'm on lockout or I'm on, uh, I've been laid off? How can I be glad about that? Just, that's not Christianity. There is a third option. So the pessimist says, my glass is half empty. The optimist says, my glass is half full. I want you to be a psalmist. Say, your cup overfloweth. Right? When it comes to it, you have some encouraging spiritual resources. We'll look at that here in just a little bit with Naomi. But I want you to see that. Woodrow Wilson, President Woodrow Wilson, was famous for saying, I firmly believe in divine providence. Without it, I think I should go crazy. Without God in this world working, it would be like the world is a maze without a clue. I ended my sermon last week with that, that this universe at its heart has a heart. There's a heart guiding the providence of this world. There is a heart, and it is a loving heart. This isn't a random roulette wheel universe filled with accidental fate and blind luck. That is not the Christian worldview. No, there is a hand and a heart at the middle of this universe that you live in. That's huge. So again, um, when it comes to divine providence and precepts, we're going to talk about that. I want to show you the, the paper mache on your fridge illustration called Ruth. You can put it on your fridge. You can put it in the back of your Bible, and it's so clear, right? And as such, let me, let me contrast a couple things just so you can be a little more theologically astute. When we talk about the active work of God in the world, we talk about his visible work in miracles. You're not going to see any in Ruth. The visible work of God we call miracles, where he parts the Red Sea, an angel appears, right? There's walking on water, there's divine light. We don't see any of that, right? The other thing is called the invisible hand of God, known as providence, only seen by faith in those who have eyes to see it. Uh, in the lives here in Ruth, God, uh, we don't see his visible hand of miracle, but we see that invisible hand of providence, and it's in everyday life. He shows up in, in, in food. He shows up in a, a romance between Ruth and her second husband. Right? Wow. Everyday people, food, marriage, he shows up in children. An angel never appears. God never speaks. A miracle never happens in the book of Ruth. And so that probably is going to be the case for whatever you put out before the Lord. 
God might not ever speak audibly. He might not, ever, might not be a miracle. No angel's going to show up. But God quietly, subtly, certainly is at work. This gives us hope, right? It gives us a lot of hope. So lastly, what's God's purpose in providence? God's purpose in providence is to make us not comfortable, but conformable. Write that down. That's a blank. God's purpose in providence is not to make us comfortable, but to make us conformable. Romans chapter 8, I mentioned it as a top of your Bible book. Smack dab at the tip of the summit is chapter 8. The word Spirit, Holy Spirit, is mentioned 15 times. Some of you have memorized it. I know three of our church members who have memorized all of Romans 8. One of them is my daughter, one of my daughters unbelievable passage. So you got the precepts of God, and it points to the providence of God. And right in the middle there, verse 29, is you are, God has a purpose to conform you to the image of Christ. That's his purpose in pain, his purpose in problems and adversity, as well as the great things that happen to you. Providence isn't always negative. Sometimes it's positive. But beware, be very leery. Um, sometimes uh, Satan gives in order to take. But God allows Right? God allows certain things to happen, and it's all, whether you're given a lot or a lot's taken from you, it's all about the image of Christ. So when we embrace God's providence, we are saying that we believe God is sovereign and God is good to me. That's what we do when we embrace His providence. I've heard it said that providence provides home in the midst of hardship. Home in the midst of hardship, because you see the sovereign God there, and he's working, and you can't see him, but you can feel the wind of providence blowing. Theologians, if you want to know what we call it, I use this in seminary a lot, we call this quorum Deo, fancy way to say in the face of God. You are, when you go through providential times, and you see the precepts and providence interplaying, his word says this, and his actions say this, and it's invisible, and you have the heart of God, and you have faith in God, and so you see it, you know God's face is right there. You know you're living in the face of God. You're living in his presence. And so, the most common question asked then has an answer. Here in your handout, you see a little dotted line, and below that write, plan of God. Most of you, when you thought earlier and prayed earlier about whatever it was, marriage, job, finances, college, career, whatever, when you ask that question, that isn't about the precepts of God. That's not about the providence of God. That's about the plan of God. Romans 12, sorry, 1 Corinthians 12 says God distributes gifts as he individually purposes it to you. In other words, God through Paul is saying that there is gifts given to you to accomplish his work through you, and he has an individual plan for you. He has a wonderful plan for your life, and so he gives you certain supernatural enablements that allow you to accomplish that plan. So, if you have the precepts of God and the providence of God, the plan of God is, is actually something that we can have assurance we can find, but it's not found with a map and an X marks the spot. It's not how it works. It's couched here. This is a providential story, Ruth, but it's a love story. It's couched within love. It's couched within a husband and a wife relationship. See, I have a relationship now 25 years, 26 if you count our dating years, with Wendy Lee Ferguson. I changed her name to Wendy Lee Moody on a day in July of 1996. If I want to know her will, how do I find it out? I can go ask her. 
But if I ask her over and over again after she's told me over and over again, I remember one time saying, yes, I'll, I'll get that fence fixed. Come on, woman, back off. I told you six months ago I would do it. <laughs> I joke, but that's how it often works. Like we've been told 12 times and we still don't do it. See, knowing what your spouse wants isn't enough. Providentially, things happen and make for new actions. But if I want to know the plan of Wendy for my life, what do I have to have? If I want to know it and do it, I've got to have a heart for it. And that's what God says about his plan for your life. And you're going to hear that today, and you're going to hear it next week. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. All right, so your notes. Where is he leading? Right? Answer. He's leading you to love him, to want him. It's not about, I get this question, should I marry this person or should I marry that person? Should I go to, to the University of Oklahoma or the University of Texas? My answer is always no. But if they're honestly answering that, right? I tell them, I, you know, where's God's word and his providence leading you? And then do you have a heart to go where that's leading? Because God's word's given you plenty. God's providence has given you plenty. And then the plan of God, then you simply trust. God has a sovereign place for you. In, in the Bible, you can believe that God has a plan for your life. There's a good story. Ananias in the book of Acts, uh, God tells him, I want you to go to Damascus because I got a man there. I want you to baptize and disciple him a little bit. His name is Paul. They called him Saul. And he will be in Damascus in a street called Straight. And Ananias speaks up, and he wants to help God out a little bit. <laughs> I love that. Ananias says to the Lord, to, G to Jesus, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to us. And the Lord said this, catch this, go obey me for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Love that. So for Paul here, the Bible says God knew the beginning of his life and he knew the end of his life and he has a plan. God has, hear me, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Can you miss that plan? Absolutely you can because of sin. That's another sermon for another day. But sin can't thwart the decrees of God, but sin can destroy your chance to be on mission and, and find the plan of God for your life. That's where sin makes you blind. To, to be fair, sin says, I don't care about what God's plan is. I want my plan. My will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's about me, and it's about my fun, and my pleasure, and my position, and my prestige, and it's about me. And that's what sin does, and it scratches that itch, and it puts you in such a great place, and sin has a, a payout. And if I were to preach it, I could keep going. I'm going to stop there, right? Sin can get you off of the will of God. In the plan of God, we just worry about our heart. So, look at your hand out there. Um, right and left answers are what we're going to talk about, and we're going to talk about your heart. Your heart leads to a hunger. If you have the Word of God, and you've got the providence of God, and you see the message of God loving you, the, this plan of God then is simply to be hungry for more of what He has for you. Heart creates hunger. I have a heart for chicken wings. Right? I've been known uh, to eat quite a few at a restaurant in College Station, Texas, known as Wings and More. Have you ever been there? They perfected the wing. It's just crispiest. It's perfectly crispy. The sauce is perfect. 
Uh, every now and again, I get a substitute. I'll go to B-dubs. I did, there, did that yesterday. It's good enough, but not quite the same. I've been known to drive to Conroe, Texas, because under the grace and providence of God, there is a wings and more in Conroe, Texas. It's a little closer. I have a heart that creates a hunger. Every now and again, I just get hungry for it because I love them. Now, that is a silly little illustration of a very serious truth. I have a heart for the Lord's work in my life and through my life. And so I don't ask what's God's plan for my life. I ask what's God's plan, and I follow it. That's what I ask my kids. What do you want to do when you grow up? I don't ask that. What is God's plan? And we're going to study that here today. The point of it is that heart leads to hunger. Now, you'll see the rest of the three there. Let me give them to you. This is my sermon for next week. Got to come back, hear me hear about, hear about these. People of God, pain of God, and peace of God. Write that down. There's your five. Worthy of the back of your Bible, the Bible cover at the front or the end. Because if you're going to minister, if you're going to be a disciple maker, if you're going to have kids, you're going to have this conversation 30 times as a believer. And some of you have used it. You, I've given this to you as a leader in our church, and you've used it, and you've used it, and used it. Some of you have never heard this. So write it down. And I'll unpack it. All right, let's get in. All right, I got about 15 more minutes. Here we go. Verse 19, so they both went until they came to Bethlehem. Chapter 1, verse 19. Naomi and Ruth, they've emigrated. Now they're immigrating. They're coming back. What did they talk about? I believe that Ruth got to have a little discipling element with Naomi. I think Naomi had a Bible study with her. Write that about. I, I, had, I didn't have the answer last week. I found it this week. It's about 50 miles from Moab to Bethlehem. In this place where Micah 5 says that Jesus would be born pregnant with prophetic imagery, here is Ruth and Naomi heading that way. I bet she talked a lot about the various elements of that. Verse 19, and when they had came to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women, <laughs> underline that, can women talk? I know, strange culture. Women in our culture never talk. These women are talking. And they said, is this Naomi? You can almost feel the gossip there. You know, I see, I choose to see half full glass. They know her. She's known. Now she's coming back. She's buried her kids. She's buried her husband. She's poor. She walked away a wealthy Judite woman married to Limelech. And now 10 years later, she is bankrupt, bankrupt, bankrupt. And they're like, is this Naomi? Verse 20. And they said, she said to them, the women, do not call me Naomi. You're writing a note. It means sweet. Don't call me sweet. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. You know what Mara means? It means bitter. Call me bitter. Her reason, next part of the verse. Why is she bitter? The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. All right. Put your thinking caps on. Do you see the prescriptive and the providential will of God interplaying here? All right, see them both. Here is, she says, prescriptively, I was told to stay. The Lord told me not to go. We were to stay in the land. We were to live in it, whether through famine or not. The famine was actually prescribed in the word of God that if Israel got out, if they defected, famine would come. We were to take our licks. Little side sermon. She is saying that the Lord struck me, right? Complete this verse. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. 
And he, Hebrews, this is a Hebrews verse. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens and he scourges his sons. And she knows that it's, it's God that did this. He struck me. So it's providential, providential, it's prescriptive. She disobeyed and she got what was coming. And now it's also providential because she's coming back to Bethlehem. And she's meeting friends. These people know her. They haven't forgotten. All right, Naomi is very brutally honest. Verse 21, catch the, catch the lowness. Look at it. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has witnessed against me? Says it again. The Almighty has afflicted me. Her complaint here gets to be very specific. But what I want you to know, notice, is Naomi's spirit, hear me, Naomi's spirit went down as low as her circumstances. Years ago, she went away full. I think that's circumstances and spirit. She comes back empty, circumstantially and spiritually. You know, a lot of Christians go through the discipline of the Lord, and their conditions go low, but their spirits don't. And you say, oh, that's such a good deal. No, 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 no. That's not a good deal. Listen to James 4, 9. Be miserable and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. That's called repentance. It's called brokenness. Blessed are the broken, Jesus says in his first sermon, because they get to see God. Hebrews 12, 5. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or faint when you're reproved of him. Do any of you have a child like that? They take lightly your chastening. Your hand goes out in pain, but their spirit doesn't go down, right? You have to start. I, I, I have one of the three that struggled a little bit with that, right? But you, you maybe have a kid that struggles with that. You start with a word, and then your word gets louder, and then you go, if you're like us, you go get the, the paddle called Wilburn. I'm going to go get Wilburn, because it will burn, right? Then that goes, and that doesn't work. Man, their spirit, their I actually had some licks in middle school. Only time I ever had licks by the principal. And in middle school, I was a punk. And, uh, I, you know, it hit me and I acted like it didn't hurt. I'm like, that, nothing. Were you like that? Were you like that to your parents? Right? They get a word, a harder word. They get the spatula or whatever it is that they use. Somebody in my, our church has a, a spatula called Mr. Sad. And they put a little sad sign. I like that. Right? Then you go get like a tire rod, <laughs> a tire iron. That's terrible. And then a bazooka. You just got to keep escalating it because you got to get a hold of that heart. No, no, see it, see it here. Verse 20, 21, God is still providentially working on Naomi. He's bringing her low. Notice, notice, it's one thing to know God's name. It's a something else to trust in the name. Look at the end of verse 20. The Lord has brought me back empty. Now, one thing is there is true and one thing is false. Is it the Lord? By the way, is it capital L-O-R-D? Is that what you have? That means it's translating the word Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. This is the covenant name. This is the name he signs contract. I have a testament, a covenant with this God. We had a deal, and I broke the deal, and he's never broke his deal. And this Lord, this covenant Lord has done this to me. So that's true. She gets it. But is she empty? She's not empty. She has four things. Number one, she has life. She's not dead. Her husband's dead. Her kids are dead. She's not dead. She has life. That is a precious gift. Secondly, she has liberty. She's in. She's out of Moab now. She's back in her house, her land. She has liberty. She has choices. She has friends. She also has a great daughter-in-law 
as you'll see next, right? Also, she has the Lord. There's four things she has. Verse 22, Naomi returned in her root with Ruth the Moabite, Bidus and her daughter-in-law. You can almost see her counting blessings. She's home and she has Ruth, her daughter-in-law. She's returned to the land and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Take a pen, underline barley harvest three or four times. Some of you are engaging the precepts of God. You're ready to see this and you get an extra treat here. What time of year is this? This is the providential hand of God. She comes back under the barley harvest. This is the month of Nisan. It's basically spring. It's March, April. You want to write a little note? It's March or April. It's springtime. It's resurrection time. The Christian life is a series of new beginnings, and she has it in the, in the weather pattern itself, in the harvest pattern itself. It is a new start for Naomi. That is providential. Amen? Can that be the case for you? Look at chapter 2, verse 1. What's the first word? What do you see in chapter 2, verse 1? What's the first word? Now. Now. Now, Ruth is a believer. Now, Ruth, a immigrant, a Moabite, graciously is got a new country. Now. Beautiful. There's such a great series of verses in the Bible on now. Romans 8.1, do you know it? Now, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, if you feel guilt here this morning, now, there's no condemnation now. God is not looking to smite you in sin. He's already done that to his son. Amen? Lightning strikes once. There is no double jeopardy. You've heard that? The double jeopardy Thing in our law system applies to the kingdom of God too. If your sin, your condemnation has been placed on the cross of Christ, now there is no condemnation. I don't care what your past that you've done. I don't care how deep your sin is. Now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You think, man, God can't work now. It's too late. It's too long. You don't know how, my, how far my marriage is. You don't know how bad my job is. You don't know how bad my health is. Well, how about Hebrews 11.1? 1? Do you know that? Now faith, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the certainty of things not seen. Now, your faith gives a different story. Let's see what happens. Now, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband. You can't half read this without smiling. Now, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. This is such a great story. If you know your Bible, security for widows meant they married the brother, but all the brothers are dead. Malon and Chilion are dead, plus they weren't in the land. Here, though, is a kinsman, and he can both marry Ruth as well as provide for Ruth. She, he is, literally says, a mighty man of valor. That's the Hebrew. It was used of Gideon and Jephthah in the time of, Gide in the, time of the judges, which is where they're at. I believe this is the time of Gideon. Gideon is the judge, and this time when Ruth and Naomi come strolling back into Bethlehem. He's a mighty man of valor, valor and so is Boaz. That's great. Verse 2, and Ruth the Moabitess. I think they keep saying that to highlight the graciousness of it. Ruth the Afghan woman. Ruth the Iranian. Ruth, she's a foreigner, and God is doing all this. Ruth the Moabitess, 
said to Naomi, please let me go to the field. And they're hungry. Let me go to the field and gleam among the ears of the grain after one in whose sight I might find favor. And she said to her daughter, go, my daughter. How does she know to do this? She's had the precepts of God. She's watched the providence of God. She, they've had a Bible study. And Naomi has, under this time, this 50-mile hike and whatever, she has shown her Leviticus 19, Leviticus 23, Deuteronomy 24, where it says that there is a Jewish food bank. And Ruth's about to go hang out at the Jewish food bank. If you had a field and you gleamed the field, you were to pile up some extra sheaves in the corners of the field for the poor. And it says for the foreigners and for the widows, and she's both, isn't she? Ruth is both. Now, now, lest you be so impressed, yes, there is a Latin proverb that says providence is not for the idle. You're to do something. She's heard of the precepts, she's watched the providence, but she's still got to do something. You got to get in the game. She's the kind of woman who couldn't remain idle, but lest you be too impressed with her, be even more impressed because this takes a lot of faith. No, she, she wants the plan of God. We'll unpack it next week in greater detail, but she wants the plan of God, and she's going to go put herself in a place because she has a heart for God, and if she's in the right place of God, then God can show. God can show up and show off, and think about the faith that it took. Here is a foreigner. She's going to get on the edge of this field, and she's going to face racism. She's not a virgin. She's already had one husband. She's going to get on the side of the field, and the men aren't going to worry about whether or not they're going to do something wrong to a virgin. Plus, it's the prostitutes that sat on the edge of the field. We see it in Ruth. We see it in the Song of Solomon. Prostitutes hung out here. You're going to see Boaz actually being concerned about that. No, no, this takes a lot of faith for her to do it, but she's okay. To live by faith means to take God at his word and then act upon it. How did James 2 say it? Faith without works is? Oh, that, that wasn't very good. Do you know the verse? Faith without works is dead. And she's like, man, I'm alive. Last verse of the morning. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come. Underline that. Here's your last thing to underline. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. She happened to come. Some of you are here, and boy, you needed to hear this message. And you happened to come on this Sunday. Some of you watching online just found us through search. Oh, the will of God, I need to know that. And you happen to come and watch this on Facebook Live. We call that one word. We call that providence. Amen? It's the invisible hand of God. And by faith, you can see it as a beautiful thing. She happened to come to the exact field where the exact man could help her. And in the same providence, some shepherds happened to be at the field there in Bethlehem when the angels showed up. And some two years later, some magi happened to be at a field where Jesus would be just around the corner, the shepherd's field, the field of Boaz. I believe it's the same place. That's so beautiful. To live by faith means to take God at his word, understanding he's gonna work, and then you act upon it. She had moved, catch me, let me, let me close the deal here. She had moved forward in obedience in her rights in the law of the Lord, claiming God's word for her own. She knew it, 
and she took her rights. She is a foreign widow woman. She has rights. And in faith, she eschews the racism and the sexual pro, you know, part of the whole danger of it all. And she comes to this field and she was guided by grace into the place God wanted her to have. And the secret part of it all is that her heart is for the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your steps. What's the point part? Trust God with your heart. Be in his word, knowing he's gonna act. He is active. Hmm. Augustine said it this way, trust the past to God's mercy, the present to God's love, and the future to God's providence. Look how verse three ends. Who was of the family of Elimelech. That's twice now we've read that. Providentially and prescriptively, this is the right man to help her. When you live by faith in the providence and the precepts of God, and you build up that heart to recognize where he's working, his word becomes a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And you don't know the 12th step, but you know the first step. You don't know the five-month or five-year plan, but you know the one-month plan. You don't know who you're going to marry, but you, and I've told this to a lot of singles, if you're single, you run after the Lord and you look to the left and to the right and you have a heart for the Lord and you love God more than anybody else. You want his plan more than anybody else and you look to the right of the Lord and if there's somebody running next to you, don't look long, keep running after the Lord. You look over there a little bit later, he's still there, she's still there. You keep running and then that person becomes a partner in ministry and not some problem in misery because you marry your best friend. You marry somebody. I stood up, I said it last week, I stood up in front of that pastor on July 6th, 1996, and I said to Wendy, I love God more than I love you. And she said, I, got, I love God more than I love you. And then we said it tongue in cheek, and we looked at each other because of that. I love you with everything I have. I have an overflow. My cup overfloweth from the love I have for God. Amen? All right, why don't you stand with me? Let me give you two quotes to be your benediction. One comes from the 19th century, a man of great providence and prayer. His name was George Mueller. Great story, great little bit of reading. Listen to what he says. Actually, read it out loud with me, all right? Shake off the cobwebs, read it out loud. Ready? I seek to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in a given matter. When we are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be, nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome. Isn't that great? Man, I, I ought to just leave it there, but I got, a better, I got a longer, better quote next. This is in the 20th century, my favorite devotional writer. His name is A.W. Tozier, also a man of prayer and providence, right? Reads this. Say it out loud with me. One of the problems most frequently encountered by serious-minded Christians is how to discover the will of God in a given situation. This is not a small matter. To countless thousands of Christians, it is vitally important. Their peace of heart depends upon knowing that God is actually guiding them and their failure to be sure that he is, he is destroys their inward tranquility and fills them with uncertainty and fear. They must get help if they are to regain their confidence. Here is the modest effort to provide some help. First, it is absolutely essential that we be completely dedicated to God's high honor and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Don't turn it yet. Heart of God. It is absolutely essential that you trust God with your heart. And your heart isn't for that next bigger house, that next better car, that next prettier boyfriend, girlfriend, or whatever it is. 
It's for God. That's the key to discovering God's will. Keep reading. God will not lead us except for his own glory, and he cannot lead us if we resist his will. The shepherd cannot lead a stubborn sheep. The evil practice of using God must be abandoned. Instead of trying to employ God to achieve our ends, we must submit ourselves joyously to God and let him work through us to achieve his own ends. Let me pray over you. Lord, I am, I got chill bumps all over me reading these words from these great men, reading these words from this great woman here in the book of Ruth. Lord, Jesus, you were fully committed to do the will of God, costly as it was, and you are our model. By your spirit, strengthen us. Strengthen within us the resolve to do your will no matter the cost. You've won our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless. That's church. That is what the church does. That's who the church is. Go be the church.